Hello and welcome to Altamar. I'm Peter Schechter. And I'm Mooney Jensen here to navigate the high seas of global politics as we do twice a month. And today we're revisiting a topic we tackled not long ago, the outlook for Brazil. And as you may remember, we discussed Brazil's presidential elections last fall in an episode called Lula Strikes Back. So I think we missed the mark there a little bit. And since then, and after Lula... And that, what a name, huh? Like, what were we thinking? <laughs> and so especially after Lula's swearing in on New Year's Day, chaos has reigned in Latin America's largest country. And today we will be joined by Ricardo Senes, economist, political analyst and advisor to discuss the impact and the perpetrators of the January 8 riots in Brasilia, the response by the new government and how this changes Lula's government in the next years of his administration. Munitea, you know, I, I've often said, you know, in lots of places that the United States and Brazil have much in common. They're like, you know, these two continent sized giants that stand back to back to each other because they don't really, you know, they don't really interact very much, but they're very, very similar. Both countries are proud of their immigrant heritage. Both are multiracial democracies suffering still to today from the consequences of the abominations of slavery. But the recent insurrection in Brazil have brought the similarities with the U.S. far too close to home. I mean, you don't want to copy the U.S. that much. And news around the world centered on the violent protests in Brasilia following the presidential transition by those who rejected completely the Lula's election results and wanted to overthrow the government. So a far-right mob tried to take over the country's main government buildings, and at best, there was a collapse of military preparedness and intelligence, or at worst, there was outright help and connivance by the military and some business elites. And so today, the government that was elected to reinsert Brazil back into the international prominence, to reaffirm Brazil's role as the environmental steward of the Amazon to heighten the state's investment in better social welfare program is going to have to put all of that stuff on the back burner. And the only subject in town in Brazil today, you read the newspapers, you listen to the TV uh, and news reports, the only subject in town is security, national defense, and restoring order. That's all there's talking about. Well, so much for the social agenda that Lula wanted to start and what he what he basically campaigned on. And those riots caught everyone's eye in Brazil and around the world because of the startling parallels with the January 6th insurrection by Trump supporters. There, was, there were a lot of parallels. Some of the comparisons were a bit simplistic, but the truth is the rest of the continent is also facing similar outbreaks of civilian dissent. Peru is on fire. The president, the sixth in five years, was kicked out and after that replaced by a very weak VP. And the streets are really getting more and more riled up asking for her resignation. And Bolivians are on the street after their opposition leader was jailed. Chile, which is considered a high performer in the region, is not in the middle of uh, protest, but recently was and is deep into the renewal of the Pinochet year constitution for the second time. And business and the government are in opposite ends of the table. And these are just a few examples. As the extreme rule and discontent takes to the streets, the losers are always the economy and the people. You know, Monia, I got to say one thing, which, you know, I'm sure uh, I'm unpopular uh, about, but, you know, 
everyone was like so excited about Lula, you know, the savior of the left, the supposed solution to all of the country's problems because he had a very, very successful first term in office at the beginning of the year 2000s. But, you know, those very same people are overlooking the deep corruption which permeated his previous Workers' Party administration. You know, and the judicial system is mired with considerable political tilt, resulting in, you know, there's a constant lack of accountability in Brazil. I, I'm not defending the protests at all. And, and least of all, I'm certainly not defending Bolsonaro, who's a despicable guy. But there seems to be no learning curve in Brazilian politics, which offered Brazilians a choice between a nutty right-wing populist like Bolsonaro and the former president convicted of corruption. I, I don't know. What do you think, Taya? Hi, I'm Taya Ivanovich, and this is Taya's Take, where we take a look at youth and social justice issues. And both of these, uh, youth and social justice issues, are very relevant for today's episode, where far-right insurrectionists managed to use social media to gather and unite, to vandalize major government buildings, setting fires and stealing weapons in the most significant assault on Brazil's democratic institutions since a military coup in 1964. So on TikTok, researchers found out that five out of eight of the top search results for the keywords ballots were for terms such as rigged ballots and ballots being manipulated. Uh, that's a quote there. So for years, Brazil has been going through a process of radicalizing people to extremist views, and that's mostly happening online. So researchers in Brazil said that Twitter in particular is a place to watch because it is heavily used by a circle of right-wing influencers, Bolsonaro allies, who continue to promote election fraud narratives. And several influencers have had their accounts banned in Brazil, and then now they've moved to the United States. So while Twitter was the meeting space for this far-right mob, guess what was happening actually at the Twitter headquarters in Brazil? Elon Musk, as we all know, the new boss of Twitter, had fired the Twitter's entire staff in Brazil, except for a few salespeople, which is crazy because among those fired in early November included eight people based in Sao Paulo who moderated content on the platform to catch posts that broke its rules against incitement of violence and misinformation. So how is that allowed to happen while Brazil should have been on high watch following the contentious election in October? And just a month later, he was able to fire all these people. So Here's my take. I ask myself this question a lot as these social media platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram have established an overwhelming power to influence people's views, sway governments and create undeniable change to culture and society. Why isn't more being done to govern them? I know I'm not the only one asking this question, but we need to keep asking it because something needs to be done about it. So as always, I'd love to hear what you think. Join the conversation by tweeting at Altamar Podcast and let's debate. It's true, Taya, that technology has made it easier to convene, easier to multiply messages, and it has also festered and fostered dangerous fake news that creates distortions and furthers extremism. And it's time that that 
companies begin to pay a price. So let's bring in our guest, Ricardo Senes uh, in Brazil. Ricardo's a Sao Paulo native. Ricardo's one of the smartest voices in Brazil. He advises on projects related to South American integration, energy and infrastructure, regulation, the aerospace and defense industry, international trade, politics and economic developments in Brazil and throughout Latin America. He's an editorial member of multiple magazines and journals and policy associations. He's a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council in Washington, D.C. and has conducted research for the Woodrow Wilson Institute and UC San Diego and many others. He's also a dear friend. Ricardo, welcome to Altamar. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Peter, for the invitation. It's a real pleasure to be part of this podcast. So, Ricardo, let me let me just ask you the first and and sort of very broad question, which is, you know, the 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 most recent protests were the largest and most concentrated in many many decades in in Brazil. What's different this time in Brazil from any other time since democracy came back? Well, Peter, I think the, we have a, a basic differentiation from this protest when we compare with the previous one. Actually, the, what we saw in January the 8th was an attempt of a coup d'etat. Actually, was a, the structure behind the protests was a, a, a very complex network uh, that was connecting different uh, uh, political forces, um, some connections within the, the, the state police, unfortunately, from the military uh, um, forces. Uh, in the end, I think the result was that we really had uh, in, the, in, uh, in this uh, recent protest at what the most strongest attempt against the institutions, democratic institutions in Brazil. I think this was the, the differentiation. There's a a lot of speculation about why the security forces did not react and did not arrest protesters. And there's some people who say it was a breakdown of intelligence and organization. There's other people say that it was collaboration and connivance with the protesters. What was it? And was it throughout the military and the police? Was it just some parts of the police? What, 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 what happened to allow this to occur? I think it was a, a combination of different factors uh, related to that uh, uh, element. That means what happened with the forces that should be uh, fighting against this uh, coup d'etat, or at least the attempt of a coup d'etat. Basically, we have a, a part, a, a part of the problem was a, col a clear collabor collaboration uh, from different uh, uh, institutions. So, for instance, uh, the Secretary of Security uh, from the from Brasilia, the, the Federal District of Brasilia, he wasn't uh, there during this protest, and he was uh, basically uh, trying not to engage. Actually, he he, he did not engage his force against the protesters. Um, other elements in the military force, uh, they was collaborating in different ways with these uh, uh, protests. Other um, units of the state police or units from the army force, basically I think they have not exactly a collaboration, but was an in completely incompetence. Uh, they fail to raise 
enough information and they fail to uh, organize a, 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 a strong response for the, the threats. So we, I think we have different situations. Uh, I think this was exactly why the, the, the attempt against the democracy uh, didn't work. Because if we had a, a, a little better degree of uh, coordination among all these forces, probably the results of these events would be different. So I guess the big question is the one I'm going to ask now, and I'm going to ask lots of questions, but it all sums up to like, is this over? Are, are we done? Did, you know, are, are the dangers to Brazilian democracy past? Is the Lula government out of danger? What happens now? I mean, you, you understand where I'm going. Like, it, it is, you know, we, we had this in America. It occurred, but one week later, we were all angry. We were all incensed, but we had the feeling it was over. Is that the feeling that you have in Brazil today? No, not at all, Peter. I think is this is not over. I think we still have room for another uh, attempt uh, against democracy uh, like this one, or even worse than than what we had. Uh, actually, we still have a strong public opinion against the, the establishment in general. I'm talking about 40% of the Brazilian public opinion have some kind of uh, 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 restrictions against the, the democracy in Brazil or the, the establishment in general. We still have a group, a strong political forces in different areas of the Brazilian society that do not accept the, uh, elect the presidential electoral results. So this is important. They are not qu questioning all the election process. They are questioning specifically the election for presidency. Uh, it's, a little, it's a paradox, of course, but they have in the, the center of the protest is against the uh, presidential electoral uh, results. We still have uh, threats from, for instance, uh, the truck drivers. We still may have uh, a major strike from the uh, truck drivers. We still have a, a daily uh, uh, attacks uh, against the, the the grid, electrical grid in Brazil. Today was the seventh uh, um, power of uh, uh, electricity uh, uh, in Brazil that was destroyed. We still have, for sure, uh, lack of security in different uh, in, uh, critical infrastructure assets in Brazil. Uh, we, we, we just saw last week an attempt against a, a refinery in Brazil, in the countryside of Sao Paulo. So we still have room for uh, other events. I think these events will not happen in two months, month, or one or two months. Probably they will wait for another political crisis or some kind of scandal or whatever that could be a, a, a new uh, uh, event that will raise against again, this kind of movement, uh, combining some strategic strikes with some attacks, uh, with a strong uh, uh, movement, protesters in the street, etc. This, this may occur again in the future. I just want to, I, I, it's so it's so interesting, the parallels, you know, I, they're, they're, I've always said that there's lots of parallels with between the United States and Brazil. This is, of course, a parallel that we don't want Brazil to have. Um, but, you know, after what happened 
when in the protests two years ago here in Washington, you know, we all thought that there were that the United States was continued to be rife with election deniers. And and there are, of course, many election deniers. But in this last election, only two years later, we saw how election deniers across the United States were defeated. People have enough of this. People, there's a sense that, oh, you know, that I, we don't want to talk about the past. They may still think the election was wrong, but they just, they want to move on. Do you, do you think that will happen in Brazil? What, what the, will people's opinions evolve or will this continue to fester? I think it's, it, it is not clear, uh, Peter, if this uh, kind of uh, movement will continue to be so strong as we saw uh in the last few weeks or uh, we we we, we don't know exactly what what we know that we still have a very strong network of uh um influencers uh, that may be connected with uh some political groups in the us and in other uh, uh countries uh that continue to produce every single day a bunch of uh, fake news uh, creating you know, all kind of attacks against Lula, against the, the electoral uh, system in Brazil, against the Supreme Court. So this kind of uh, 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 trend, I think it's clear that we continue to, to be in place uh, in Brazil. I think Bolsonaro himself is not uh, uh, the, the, the lead, the, 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 the most important leader of this, uh, all these um, events. Actually, he's a kind of a guy who creates the narrative that he creates all the, um, the uh, I think, the tensions in the narrative, uh, in the public opinion, etc. He, he is an important guy who represents all of that, but he's not the coordinator. He's not the one who really manage all these uh, uh, groups or all these uh, attacks. Actually, right now we have different groups with different leaders that may create their own uh, strategies against democracy. So it's not clear right now how these people will behave in the future. Uh, it is clear that there is no a single coordination behind them. Sometimes they manage to, to put together three or four different uh, groups. Sometimes they try to do by themselves and did not succeed in that. Uh, but we are we don't know, uh, Peter, if uh, what will may happen in the future, the the elements that uh, we saw two weeks ago uh, in Brasilia, basically doing all these uh, attacks against the Supreme Court, against the Congress, uh, uh, against the presidential palace, they continue to be here in the country. But we know we don't know how coordinated they will be in the future. Well, Ricardo, as you as you kind of paint the picture of what's happening and what happened and 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 the way this protest has moved, frankly, like many movements, in that it doesn't have a central leader. So you have you have stated that Bolsonaro is not the necessarily the leader, but this all happened because he lost or because he didn't win and didn't take power. So there there's definitely a role and it was very um shocking to you know to see him in a, in a hospital bed in orlando in the in the earlier days and it's also hard to think that he has nothing to do with it so do you feel that um he 
I mean, he, that he remains incredibly powerful as a figure and has a lot of followers and, and those followers are on the street. What is uh, the role of Bolsonaro if he's not the organizer? Well, Muni, uh, you're right. He's continue, he's continued to be a, a, the most important leader of this movement. The point is, uh, he's not organic. Uh, he's not uh, part of a very strong organization nationwide uh, with its, a clear strategy. He basically, uh, I, I define uh, Bolsonaro as a, a leader of a kind of uh, a very generic movement. Uh, he doesn't have a clear agenda or a clear political strategy. He's basically a guy who uh, organized, I think, mostly the narrative and he represents, he, he kind of, he's a kind of catalyzer of this process. But we are talking about different groups in different institutions with different agendas that are combining or at least are at, collaborating with him in sometimes, for instance, we have uh, this non-democratic leadership within the armed forces. This, this, we, we, we had that before Bolsonaro's presidency. This is part of the, you know, the Brazilian political system constituency. Uh, we also have a, a very uh, extremist group within the evangelic movement in Brazil, and they they are part of the Brazilian society even before Bolsonaro uh, presidency. What Bolsonaro did was catalyze, I think, so, some all of these movements that are uh, there. Of course, we have a, a sense in the Brazilian society, and I think it's similar in other countries in Latin America, uh, dissatisfaction, uh, uh, we have a, a, a very bad uh, mood in the country, in society. We have this long-term economic crisis, we have uh, some concrete in the materials uh, elements behind this, you know, this very bad uh, mood situation. But Bolsonaro himself is not the, you know, the strategic leader. He's the, I think, the leader of the narrative. So what is the role of the judiciary? Some right-of-center Brazilians are complaining that the judiciary has also been compromised, that it's full of leftist sympathies and, and has been a catalyst for, for impunity. Well, I think the judiciary may be part of the problem. Uh, again, it's not a problem strictly related to this election. Uh, we have these, uh, we, we have in, in Brazil what we call the a judiciary activism. That means the, the judiciary are pushing agendas. They are uh, actually uh, make decisions even uh, against other powers. For instance, some, some decisions that the Supreme Court did in the last few years was basically the decision that should be made by the Congress. Uh, but we have this situation uh, since before the, again, the, the, the Bolsonaro's uh, presidency, the, I think this process started during the car wash operation, when in the case it was the opposite side. These people were basically against Lula and against the leftists and the, against the Labour Party, etc., etc. Well, they, they canceled, they, they, they uh, put uh, Lula in jail, and before that, take out Lula, they took out Lula from the election process. Uh, so it was a very strong, uh, you know, political decision. 
So let's talk about Lula because all that happened and we all covered it and talked about it and worried and it spread through the entire continent. It, it spilled into Colombia, my country, and, and it was a, a huge scandal. And yet, and Peter was talking about that earlier, everybody's in love with Lula. Uh, right as before he was when he was elected that you know the the kind of the intelligentsia around the world was super excited about Lula and 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 almost forgot everything that had happened um and and he was seen as like a savior obviously he's been sidelined in the very first days of his presidency but is he a savior or is he continues to be you know the one of the main architects of the biggest corruption scandal in the region is he transformational or is he just really clever he's the both. He can be the both at the same time. He's he's a kind of leader. He he made major decisions and positive policies. He created he, he fight against uh, the hungry, the poverty. Uh, I think this was clear. He did that. But at the same time, he's the leader of the most important corruption scandal in Brazil. That's clear. So the, Lula is a, this kind of paradox. But at the same time, um, what we had during the process uh, of of the the, the the persecution against him, uh, they failed they failed to prove what may be uh, amazing because they had so many proofs against Lula that in the end the judiciary process uh, was uh, um, uh, this this uh, they uh, they could not create uh, uh, enough. Uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the judicial process do not, in the end, could prove all the uh, corruptions that they said Lula did. I think it was clear for the public opinion, but the, the judiciary, the, the, you know, the process, the procedure was a mistake. They, so for some reason that I cannot explain here, they do not succeed in finish this process in, a, in the way they, sh they should. Uh, and all this process was reversed, and Lula was able again to uh, to be a candidate. And, and the, the people, the public opinion in Brazil was divided. 50% of the Brazilian population said they do not accept Lula. And the other 50% of the population said, well, Lula, even all the other problems, it is better than Bolsonaro. So that this is the case. He's not a saint, and he's not a devil. He's a combination of these two figures. <laughs> So Ricardo, let's let's I, I wanna just take advantage of having you on the on the show to have you speculate and talk a little bit about the rest of Latin America because uh, you know it's not only Brazil that's in flames here. <laughs> uh across uh, across uh, your country to the to the east across the Amazon to the east, you have Peru, which is you know a country that's collapsing. Uh Bolivians are in the street because the opposition leadership was arrested. Uh, in Chile, there were there were protests um, uh, around the constitutional uh, reform, which collapsed uh, after such a huge effort. Argentina is now facing an election, which suddenly populism is is uh, is now again uh, showing itself. What do you see happening in the region? Well, Peter, I think in the the, the basis of this, uh, the very basic movement that we saw in, in Latin America, and that is a, a huge satisfaction, a huge, you know, uh, um, very poor situation in terms of how people uh, is uh, understanding what is going on in the economy, in politics, etc. 
has to do, in my view, with uh, uh, incapacity of the Latin American countries uh, to address uh, what happened in the uh, after the fourth uh, technological revolution since the 90s. What we saw in Latin American countries is uh, a process of deindustrialization, a process in which the labor force has been disorganized. So uh, we have right now a lack of uh, offers for good jobs in Brazil, in Argentina, in Mexico, in Peru, etc. We have an increase um, uh, inequality in the societies. Uh, so I understand that the, all these political tensions that, that we saw in Brazil, in Argentina, in, in Colombia, in Mexico, in Peru, etc., has to do with um, some something that are more basic, that are more structural, that has to do with uh, 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 economic performance that do, no, do not address the, you know, the basic social needs. Uh, that are, again, is a paradox. We, we have some countries that have been growing, like, as you said, Peru has been growing quite well in the last few decades, but they do not create an, a social situation in which uh, the people are comfortable, the people are uh, in a better uh, economic situation, uh, they not create good jobs, they not create good social policies, etc. Uh, and this creates tensions. And I think Brazil is part of this, this game, probably in a more uh, dramatic way, because I think the industrialization process in Brazil is more is deeper than we had in other countries. Why? Because Brazil was more, more uh, industrialized than the others. So uh, when we take some regions in, the, in Brazil, uh, including here in Sao Paulo it, or Rio de Janeiro, etc., it's a major cities uh, in which the, 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 the capacity of creating value uh, are, are not there. So if you take Rio de Janeiro, for instance, it's the worst case in the Brazilian uh, Federation in terms of uh, economic development. That means uh, a, a political a economic center, a economic poll that we had in, in Rio de Janeiro 30, 40 years ago was destroyed. And part of the crisis that we saw in Brazil has to do with the crisis in Rio de Janeiro. The same happened in same areas of Sao Paulo. And that's why I, I understand Bolsonaro comes from this area and this situation. Bolsonaro represents uh, a part of the Brazilian society and Brazilian economy that are suffering in the last 30 years um, this construction, you know, a kind of lack of uh, formality, a lack of good social policy. Um, that's why they are they accept so well, for instance, all the militia. For for these people behind Bolsonaro, the militia phenomenon is not a problem. It's a, a, a day by day situation. That's that's that that's it. And I think they represent a, a part of the Brazilian society that has been feeling in living in a failure in terms of economic development and social organization. And that's why I think the similar uh, situation we can compare with the other uh, countries in Latin America. So I want to go back to Brazil and I, I, I want to especially talk about sort of youth and, and social justice and in particular the role of social media. I mean, we talked a lot on, on the show today about comparing Brazil with the January 6th insurrection here in the United States. And also here, like in Brazil now, the role of social media was really huge, right? That's that's where a lot of this far right congregated. So 
What's your take on that? And what's your take on, you know, platforms, social media platforms that promote this type of insurrection and this type of violence? Um, what do we do about them? Don't they have to pay some type of price? <laughs> Excellent question. I think the phenomenon of social media in Brazil is just another very strong fact uh, that we can put above all this socioeconomic disaster. Uh, that means the social media in Brazil, as you said, uh, it's uh, Brazil is one of the countries uh, in, in the world that use very, very intensely the, uh, all the, the, the social networks. Uh, if you take net, uh, Facebook, if you take uh, Twitter, all these uh, uh, social media, Brazil is in the top three or top five in the, in the, in the world. That means they are, they are part of this narrative dispute that we have in Brazil that, as I said, at least from my point of view, are based in a, a, this social and economic disorganization that we has been experiencing in the country, but they are part of the... Um, of the narrative dispute. And I would say that the, the, the far right movement in Brazil has been much better in using the social media than the centrists, the moderates, the leftists, etc. So actually, if you take the numbers uh, about uh, related to the social media in Brazil, the far right groups, uh, they are twice stronger than the other political forces. So uh, I, as I think you are right, they are part of the phenomena that has been seen in Brazil and this attempt against the democracy has to do uh, with the, the way of social media in Brazil has been operating. Just a final question, Ricardo. What, and it's, a, it's an easy one, of course, it's what is your prediction <laughs> for the kind of political outlook of, of the Lula government and also the economy? Well, uh, there yeah. you go. <laughs> well, I'm not uh, very optimist. I think we, we will continue to have a, a situation in which Lula uh, has uh, probably will be able to create uh, a strict governability uh, in terms of institutional dynamic. That means Lula will manage to, to, to uh, arrange a coalition in the Congress that will support his administration. So I, I don't think that we have a... a, a, a a crisis in terms of institutional governability. So I think Lula will, will be able to implement some measures, for instance, a tax reform, uh, some social policies related to um, housing, uh, fight against uh, Hungary, increase the Bolsa Familia and all this process. I think he will not face problem on that. But at the same time, I think Lula uh, will, in the next four years, you every single day uh, need to pay attention on the opposition in the society. I think these problems uh, that we saw uh, recently will not finish, will not uh, stop. Uh, Lula will need to combine uh, a kind of, um, you know, um, a, a traditional or normal um, administration uh, with this permanent fight against uh, a very strong and, and violent uh, um, opposition in, in, in Brazil. I think, unfortunately, this will affect the capacity of Brazil to recover the economic uh, development in, Brazil, uh, in the next few years. Probably uh, the international economy will, uh, again, affect in a negative way the Brazilian economy performance. Uh, but, well, that's why I think if we, Lula, 
during the next four years manage at least to to uh, put the Brazilian society in a uh, in the Brazilian economy uh, more close to what we could think as a normal way of operation or or, or, or uh, a normal um, um, way of living um, uh, I think would be a success I I'm not expecting that Lula will put the economy to grow five percent uh, per year and the uh, the poverty in Brazil will be uh, reduced dramatically uh, we are not expecting any major uh, strong change I think if back being back to normality will be a major success for Lula can I can I ask a, fo a follow up? I'm sorry that I know Mooney promised that it would be the last, but how will all of this affect Lula's promise to be a um, environmental steward of the Amazon? And 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 where where does well, that go? I, I, Lula is not a guy who has been taking the, the environment agenda as a central piece of his uh, administration. I think Lula. He's a, a traditional guy. He's a, in some issues, he's a conservative, uh, including the in terms of environment uh, issues. Uh, but I think differently from the first uh, uh, Lula uh, mandate or first uh, Lula administration in its second, this third one, I think the the the, uh, the issue of environment right now it's a pragmatic and positive, a potentially positive issue for Lula. Uh, and that's why I think Lula will take this agenda because he understands clearly that we have a, 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 it's a kind of low-hanging fruit uh, for Brazil. We can uh, not for just in terms of image, international image or international presence in forums, etc., but in, in concrete sense and, for instance, in attracting investments or attractive funding funds for, for uh, this policy. So I think. For this reason, more than be a, a, a guy who really believes that the environment agenda is uh, uh, a central uh, axis for the uh, for the Brazilian economic development, I think Lula will address this agenda. I think Lula will open space, will open room for the leaders like Marina Silva and others uh, to uh, act in a in a positive way in terms of uh, environment agenda, especially especially related to new energies. The renewables energy, uh, I think, would be within the, the environmental agenda, one of the central pieces, exactly because the new uh, energies, the renewables energy, combine environment with economic development. And that's why that, that Lula understands. <laughs> Ricardo Senes, muito obrigado. Thank you very much for joining us. Prazer, Peter. Thank you very much for the invitation and for this conversation. Okay, there, Peter. Three things kind of struck me in this in this conversation. One is so Bolsonaro is really has a very small role. I I, I doubt it. I really believe that you know he he was the, the trigger. Maybe he's not the great leader of the movement, but he definitely has a role. The other thing is is Peter Peter's um, small rant about Lula, and, and it's true. Um, when when he won, why was everybody so excited? 
Um, that's that's a, a question that I don't think we can answer. And then the the issue of social media, and I do think that there's um, a whole larger conversation, maybe an entire episode that we can uh, um, really sit here and discuss the role of social media and the accountability of uh, those companies that really spread all of this fake news. I, I don't think Ricardo was saying that he has no role. I think what Ricardo was saying is that he he doesn't have a vertical party. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't have a a representative of the Bolsonaro party in every corner of the country, in every city, in every town. He doesn't have he, he's not surrounded by you know staff that has you know implementations of of uh, you know the aide de camp sends it to the campaign manager sends it to the people on the ground. He. He, you know, he, he he leads with this rhetoric and these these uh, sort of this this protest, constant protest, and and you know, speaking and and speaking of Bolsonaro and speaking of like spreading the blame, you know, Taya rightly pointed out the social media, but you know, this guy's sitting in the United States. I mean, this guy is fomenting a rebellion in a allied democratic country. He's sitting in the United States in some house and and signing autographs every morning between ten and eleven thirty in the morning, when he doesn't use American hospital medical services because he has a he has a tummy ache. And I, I, you know, why is he here? And why doesn't he get why doesn't he get politely asked to leave? Um, so. That's another rant. So that so was, not, yeah, it was not the rant I was talking about. <laughs> I don't think we have much time left. So um, I, I don't have much to add. I mean, I think the, the comparison with the U.S. is interesting, not only looking back at what happened, but also looking forward. And, you know, I think the question of where will Brazil be in a year or, you know, or four years um, at the end of Lula's term, I think that is really interesting in seeing how this big lie, if we want to call it that in Brazil, I don't know how you say it in Portuguese, Peter, but if we want to compare that to the US, what, how will that evolve in, in Brazil? I think that's what I'm, I'm excited or <laughs> worried about uh, following. So with that, um, we are at the end of our show and you can listen to All Tomorrow wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a lot. And you can sign up for our bi-weekly free newsletter for analysis of global trends other than just our show every other Friday. We will see you next time. Mm-hmm.